Um, we're so thankful for just the men in this church we have for pulpit supply. We have, we have such a good group, men of here, that can, again, when pastor's out of town, to cover our preaching. And we're thankful for those men that are willing to come and preach and fill in. Brother Michael is going to come up. He's going to be praying for us, uh, preaching for us this evening. And we're just so thankful that, he, again, he's here. And, um, and we're looking forward to what the Lord has laid on his heart this evening. So please, please be praying for Brother Mike. And I'm going to hand it over to him. It's always a honor to be asked to stand behind the pulpit and fill in for our pastor. Uh, most of you know me. Those of you who do not, I'm, I guess I, I would be considered more of a lay preacher. Uh, I feel like that the Lord has something for me in the ministry, and until he reveals exactly what that may be, uh, I will just preach and, and I will be faithful in serving him when he gives me the opportunity to do so. And that's, that's been my prayer with him. I, you know, I surrendered. Uh, of course, I, I was saved as a young boy. And in t- 2014, I realized that I had made some very poor choices and had gotten away from serving the Lord and just uh, really had a time of, I like to say, a personal revival. Uh, the Lord just really got a hold of my heart and convicted me of some things. And I... I had prayed the prayer of surrender plenty of times before. You know, Lord, I surrender all. But there were certain, certain sins in my life that I was not willing to let go of. And when I prayed it in 2014, I gave it all to him. Lord, it's 100%. I'm tired of the regret that I have in my life. I'm tired of not living for you. I'm tired of not being what I know you want me to be. And it was a true revival. And I, I told the Lord then, I will not push on any doors. I will not make things happen. But as you allow the opportunities to come into my life, I will go through them. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so, so far, it's there have been several times that he's given me the opportunity to preach. And I love uh, the, those opportunities. I, I love preparing the sermons. I, I just feel like that that's exactly uh, where I need to be when I... When I sit down and, and I really start studying and preparing a sermon, it's like the Holy Spirit just allows things to flow. And uh, there's no, no feeling like it. Uh, I just really enjoy it. And, you know, someday the Lord may put me in a full-time ministry position, but for now he's got me on what I consider the mission field. I drive a truck and I work with a lot of unsaved people, unchurched people, and I feel like that I'm able to... Uh, to witness to some of them and to share my testimony with some of them and who knows what the Lord will do with that. So I'm, I feel like that I'm right where I need to be right now, but if the Lord were to ever open a full-time ministry spot for me and place me in it, then I'm willing to be there as well. So uh, a little bit about me, but, I, you know, our pastor's out of town because our, our pastor's wife, uh, her mother passed away last weekend, and so they're out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, as, Pat, as Daniel said, he'll be back. They'll be flying back tomorrow. So keep them in your prayers. Keep the Stone family in your prayers. So if you've looked at your bulletin, you have seen the title of my sermon is "Oh to Be Like Jesus." This is uh, this is what we all should be wanting to be like. If if you consider yourself a Christian, then you should want to be like Jesus. You'd want to have the attitude. You'd want to follow the examples that he gave us here on earth. But uh, 
I'll start off with a little illustration. Uh, one Sunday morning, there was this old cowboy that entered into a church, and just before the services had started, and although he had never been here before, uh, the old man and his clothes were spotlessly clean, but he wore a pair of jeans, a denim shirt, and some boots that were very worn and ragged. In his hand, he carried his old dingy cowboy hat and a worn-out Bible. The church he went in was very upscale, very what we might call highfalutin. Uh, it was in the exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and the most beautiful church that this cowboy had ever entered. The people of the congregation were all dressed in very fine, expensive clothing. They uh, had all the accessories to set that clothing off. As the cowboy took a seat, the people around him started to move away. No one greeted. No one spoke to him. No one welcomed him. And I imagine some of you have been in that position before where you just kind of feel like that fish out of water. Uh, It's kind of like maybe I chose the wrong place to be today. But they were all appalled at his appearance, and they didn't even attempt to hide it. The preacher preached a long sermon about hellfire and brimstone, and at the end of the message he uh, pled for money, letting the church know that the church needed so much money to take care of God's work. As the cowboy was fixing to leave, the preacher approached him, and he asked the cowboy to do him a favor. And he said, before you come back, I would like to ask you to have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for you to to wear to church. The old cowboy assured the preacher that he would do just that. So the following Sunday, he showed back up for the services, wearing the same ragged jeans, the same shirt, the same uh, boots, same hat in his hand, the same worn-out Bible, and kind of got the same response from the people around him. Uh, the preacher approached the man at the end of the service. He said, uh, I thought I asked you to speak to God about what you should wear before you came back to church. The old cowboy said, Preacher, I did just that. The preacher said, Well, if you spoke to God, what did he tell you the proper attire should be for worshiping in here? Well, sir, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He says he's never been here before. Now, that's a funny illustration, and, and I, I like to lighten things up when I can, but sometimes uh, it reflects the attitudes that some of us who call ourselves Christians may have. We look at people that maybe they don't dress like us, maybe they don't look like us or act like us, and we will get a better-than-thou very judgmental attitude and we've all done it uh you know i i I dare say that there's not a person in this room or a person that's living listening by live stream that has not had a judgmental attitude at some time where you thought that you were maybe a little better than somebody else just because of first of all you didn't get to know them and second of all just because of the way they looked or the way they acted the way you know you had that judgmental attitude We see people living lifestyles all the time that we don't agree with. Or maybe their lifestyle doesn't agree with the word of God. And we immediately have 
a judgmental attitude toward them. May I remind you that we can't expect the world to live like Christians because they're not. When we find ourselves in the act of judgment, let's remember mercy. Christians are called or we are expected to live righteous lives. However, we are not to be guilty of being self-righteous. A self-righteous person is defined as one who is confident in his or her own righteousness. A self-righteous person also shows superiority above all others, especially if they have a difference of opinion. They have that attitude, oh, I do love me some self. You've, You've known people like that. You may have had that attitude yourself at one time or another. But let me remind you of what Isaiah 64, 6 has to say about our righteousness. But we are an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Matthew six twenty three tells us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God, by all means, wants us to live a righteous life, but not a self-righteous one. If we're not careful, we will look at others through our own self-righteous eyes. So let's not be found guilty of being judgmental, self-righteous Christians. In our text tonight, it tells us some self-righteous people that thought that they could tangle Jesus up. They had that holier-than-thou attitude. They thought that they knew all the answers, but what they didn't realize was that they had a lot to learn. They were approaching the one who did have all the answers. Before we look at the text tonight, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the message. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your righteousness because we don't have any. Ours are but filthy rags. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us mercy and that you have sent your son to clean us up, to give us your righteousness. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here tonight that has never received that free gift of righteousness, of salvation, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict their heart and that they would realize their need. Father, if there are those here that may have that self-righteous attitude, that judgmental mind, I pray, Lord, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to correct them in their ways. Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. Father, may may you not only meet with us here tonight, but may we meet you here tonight and be open to what you have for us. These things I ask and pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 8. Now this is going to be a familiar passage of Scripture. It's one that I'm sure that most of you have heard before. It is a passage that I learned this week that are not found in the earliest manuscripts. Uh, It is somewhat controversial in whether or not it is 
uh, original script, but the Holy Spirit has placed it in the Word of God, and I'm going to claim it to be sent by God. Uh, it certainly fits. It certainly is uh, something that we can learn from. And so, John chapter 8, let's look at the first 11 verses. It says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted, him, lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine those accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. In this passage, there are several questions that we may ask. We may ask, How did these scribes and Pharisees catch this woman in an act of adultery? If this woman was caught in the act of adultery, where's the man? He would have been just as guilty. It's believed that the man was in cahoots with these scribes and Pharisees to use this woman for this very thing, just to tangle Jesus up, to get Jesus to perhaps answer incorrectly or, you know, situation where, what will Jesus say? They were, you know, the Bible tells us that they were trying to tempt him. They were trying to get him caught up. The Bible doesn't really tell us. One of the questions I have is, what was Jesus writing on the ground? Isn't that a uh, something that kind of gets your interest? It's kind of like, what <laughs> if Jesus was stooping down writing on the ground, the Holy Spirit chose not to tell us. But we have all these questions that we don't have the answer to, but let's, let's see what these verses do reveal. We see in our passage that Jesus was teaching in the temple. He was known as a rabbi. There were a lot of people that wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. He was, you know, you know that the Jewish rabbi was considered a teacher. So it was not out of place for him to be teaching in the temple. And the Bible tells us there that uh, all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. 
So you kind of can, can get in your mind's eye what the scene may have looked like. He would have been in the outer courts, but he had this group of people that were sitting around him or standing around him listening to him teach. They were interested in what Jesus had to say. So, and in verse 2, and in the early morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. And then the interesting thing happens. The scribes and the Pharisees decided that they could just come in and interrupt him. The scribes in those days were known for a few different things. If you're wondering what a scribe is, you, you kind of think of somebody that you know was writing, and, and that's what they did. But uh, a few different things that they did, they drafted legal documents. They may have been known for taking dictation for the king. Uh, they would keep historical records. But also they were known for copying the manuscripts. And so as they would copy the manuscripts, of course, that would include what they had then of what we know as the Old Testament, the Bible. It would have been the laws of Moses. It would have been, you know, what we have now as Exodus, Deuteronomy, those, those parts of the Bible that uh, would have been the laws that God had given to the Jewish people. And so they knew the law. And the Pharisees, of course, were the strict sect of Jews. They studied the law of Moses and considered themselves to be better than everybody else because they knew the law. They studied it. They knew what it said. And they lived by it. And they were the ones who were going to judge you by it. They were going to let you know if you stepped out of line. Uh, so they thought that because they studied it and knew it, that they could enforce it. They were a group of self-righteous people. They studied it. They obeyed it. They had no room for mercy. This is the way it is, and this is how it should be done, and if you break the law, we'll let you know about it. Interesting little uh, side note. Confession's good for the soul. I was headed to work the other morning. Uh, headed down 11E and speed limits 55 down through there and I was just in my own little world mashed the gas pedal a little harder than I should have and that state trooper he found no room for mercy uh, he pulled me over give me a ticket and uh, at this point I just have to go to the courts and beg for mercy I guess uh, most of you know I drive a truck for a living. I've got a CDL, so the speeding ticket's a little more important thing for me to take care of than, you know, if I didn't have a CDL. But, but either way, uh, just sign up. That's you know, I can go before the judge and I can beg for mercy, and we'll see what happens. But the Jew, the the uh, Pharisees, they had no room for mercy. You broke the law. You need to pay the penalty for that. So the Bible doesn't tell us how these men caught this woman in an act of adultery. It's been speculated that she was set up, like I said before, just for this purpose. Uh, just so that they could bring her before Jesus and try to trap him, try to get him tangled up. There's no mention of the man that she was with, but he would have been just as guilty. 
in verse 5, they speak of the law of Moses. Let's read that. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. That was the law. If you're caught in adultery, you need to be stoned. If you go back and look at Leviticus 20, verse 10, or Deuteronomy 22, 22, it's very plain. This is the law. This is what God told us to do in this situation. And these Pharisees are saying, no mercy. This is the law. But they're asking Jesus, what, what do you say we should do? Jesus is apparently between a rock and a hard spot, right? Because if Jesus agreed, it would go against the concept of forgiveness that he had been teaching. It would also go go against the Roman law that day, forbidding stoning to take place, although at times it still did get used. However, if he didn't agree, he'd be going against the law of Moses, which had been the way that things were supposed to be handled. They thought that they had Jesus in a real predicament. Okay, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? What's your answer to this dilemma? Uh, Should we go ahead and stone her? All Moses says, that's what we need to do. And you've been preaching forgiveness. You've been showing mercy. You've been, you know, preaching against the law of Moses. So what are we supposed to do here, Jesus? You're, you know, you've got all the answers. Of course, they were mockingly asking him what they should do. But, you know, Jesus saw this woman in need of love, in need of grace, in need of mercy, in need of forgiveness. And he saw that, that she needed all that from a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. Isn't that the same way that we should see people? When we see that person that's living in sin, when we see that person that doesn't agree with what we believe, shouldn't we see them as somebody that's in need of love and grace and mercy? and forgiveness from the very same God that gave that to us. Jesus didn't condone her sin. He didn't agree with it. He didn't say, well, you know, it's all right. She just sinned. It'd be all right. No. And neither should we condone sin. That's, That's not what Jesus did. He didn't condone it. But he also didn't ignore the fact that she had sinned. He did, however, see her as a sinner in need of forgiveness. Isn't that the way that we should see those people around us that we sometimes have that better-than-thou attitude with, that we sometimes have that judgmental mindset with? When we see lost people, regardless of what sins they may be involved in, we need to realize that Christ died for their sins just as much as he died for our sins. There go I, but for the grace of God. We should be careful to speak the truth in love, not judgment. We were all born into this world with the same sin nature. 
Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But aren't you glad that it doesn't end right there? Aren't you glad that that's not the end of the, the story? Thank God that he loved us way too much to let it end with, and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned because he offered us a free pardon of sin. He sent a Savior to pay that price for us. As, as we read down through this passage, don't you just love the, the wisdom of Jesus? He didn't immediately acknowledge the scribes and the Pharisees. He just matter-of-factly stooped down and started writing something on the ground with his finger. Can you imagine what these men must have been thinking? Can't you just imagine what was going through their mind? Don't you wish that the Holy Spirit had revealed to us what Jesus wrote on the ground that day? He chose not to. But it's been speculated that what he was writing may have been the Ten Commandments. You know, one of the commandments says, Thou shalt commit adultery. So, yeah, that was part of the law. But so was all these other nine commandments. So, it's possible. But the Holy Spirit didn't reveal to us what he did write. It's also been speculated that maybe he was writing the names of these Pharisees and scribes. And beside their name, maybe he was writing some of the sins that they've committed. Don't know. Holy Spirit didn't choose to put that in here for us. You know, we can speculate, we can guess, we can imagine all we want to, but we'll never know because the Holy Spirit didn't tell us. But I find it interesting that Jesus didn't just immediately acknowledge their presence or their accusation against this woman. Can't you just imagine what must have been going through their minds? How dare he just ignore them like that? In verse 7 it says that they continued asking him. Look at verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them. Stop right there. They continued asking him. Many of you are parents in here. Have you ever had that time when your child was asking you for something and you didn't immediately answer them and they just continued to ask? I imagine that they were being very annoying in the way that they continued asking him. Well, Jesus, what do you say? Are you going to answer? Hey, Jesus. What's wrong? Cat got your tongue? Can't you just imagine how annoying their continuing to ask probably was? And Jesus is just stooped down writing something on the ground. As if, as if he's just ignoring them. As if, you know, he's not even acknowledged their presence. Until he stands up. He lifted himself up and he said unto them, he 
that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. What a wise way to answer these self-righteous, judgmental men. (laughs) Don't you wish you had that wisdom sometimes? They didn't know what to say. That was not the answer they were looking for. They were stunned. Can't you just see their faces? That's not what we were expecting. The wisdom of our Savior in that verse. He had turned the tables on them. How could they respond to that? He didn't condone this woman's sin, but he didn't condemn it either. He made them start looking at their own selves. One by one, the Bible says, beginning with the eldest, they started being convicted of their own sin. And slowly, I'm sure, started walking away. When we are quick to have a judgmental attitude, do we ever point the finger at ourselves and think about our own sins? Do we ever judge ourselves? Do you think about there go I, but for the grace of God? Does that thought ever cross your mind? Remember when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, there in verses 3 through 5, he said, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then... Shalt thou see clearly cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye? How many times have you been told by maybe somebody that you're trying to correct, well, judge not that you be not judged? Isn't that verse taken out of context quite often? But it's true. You know, sometimes we're quick to judge somebody else, but we're not looking at the beam that's in our own eye. We're not judging ourselves before we try to judge someone else. I'm bad. When somebody confronts me, I'm usually pretty quick to defend myself. Or at least I'm going to answer back pretty quick. It's human nature. How how dare you accuse me of that, you know? I'm, I'm not guilty, you know? I'm going to answer back something, but not Jesus. I'll allow my own self-righteousness to get the best of me. We're all guilty of it. Again, it's human nature. But here we have the only true righteous person being confronted, and he is so slow to respond. 
James 1, 19 and 20 addresses this. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Slow to speak. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So when Jesus did speak, he spoke with great wisdom. He heard the accusations. He knew what they were all about. He, he knew what these scribes and Pharisees were trying to do. But he took his time before he answered. And when he did answer, he answered with great wisdom. The latter part of verse 7, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Again, Jesus didn't condemn nor condone what this woman had done. And after he said that, he just stooped back down and he continued writing on the ground. Oh, to be like Jesus. We see that after he spoke those words, the accusers found themselves under conviction. The Bible says that they started leaving one by one from the eldest to the last. Isn't it interesting that the Bible puts in there from the eldest to the last? You know, it's been thought that perhaps the reason it was that way is because the eldest had been here a little longer. They had more sins that have piled up over the years. They were more convicted. There was more to it to them. The Bible doesn't say that. But it would stand to reason that the longer they had lived, the more laws they would have broken. After all, none of them were perfect. Verse 10, when Jesus found himself alone with this adulterous woman, he asked her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Can't you imagine this woman? She's been caught in an act of adultery. I imagine these Scribes and Pharisees weren't gentle in bringing her into the temple. They wanted to make a, an example of her. You know, there was a crowd gathered there. They bring her in there, and I'm, I imagine, there again, I don't know, but I imagine they probably brought her in there and just shoved her down in front of Jesus and started accusing, started telling of her sin, embarrassing her, who of us want our sin to be brought out in public? Who wants to be embarrassed? But I can imagine that these self-righteous, these judgmental scribes and Pharisees, they wanted to make a, make a point that this woman had sinned. They wanted everybody there to know what her sin was. I can just imagine them throwing her down there. Can you imagine how she felt? Embarrassed, scared, afraid. And here she is alone with Jesus, not knowing what Jesus is going to say. But then he says, Where are your accusers? Where did everybody go? You know, he had been stooped down right on the ground, so he wasn't really paying attention, so to speak. He knew what he was doing. He knew where they went. He knew that 
because of his words, they were now judging themselves. They felt that conviction. And she answered and said, No man, Lord. Don't you just wonder what was going through her mind? And then the wisdom of our Lord. You know, she was probably thinking, surely this Jewish rabbi was going to uphold the law. She certainly wasn't expecting what happened next. When she answered, no man, Lord, I wonder what was going through her mind. She surely wasn't anticipating mercy. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What sweeter words could that woman have heard that day? Coming from Jesus himself. I'm not going to condemn you here today. But he also told her, go and sin no more. I don't condone what you've been doing, but I'm not going to condemn you. Don't do it anymore. No, Jesus showed this woman love. He showed her compassion. He didn't have to, but he did. And he doesn't, he show us that same love and compassion. When we come before him guilty of breaking the law, of his law, of God's law, we deserve punishment. But oh, to be like Jesus. When we look at the lost and dying people around us, when we look at their sins and we have that better than thou attitude, oh, to be like Jesus. Could you or I have been so merciful? Could we have shown that woman that love that compassion, knowing what the law was, she sinned. She deserved to be stoned. I'm sure that we would have been just as quick to judge her as the scribes and the Pharisees were. Sometimes we're guilty of that, aren't we? We see people that we don't agree with the way they're living, the way they're talking, the way they're acting. But isn't that what we do when we don't show mercy to those lost people around us? We've often used the words that we are to hate the sin, not the sinner. Those are some true words. But do we put those words to effect? Do we show the love of Christ? Too many times we hear that Christians are judgmental. I've, I've heard people say, you know, how judgmental Christians are. How all we want to do is tell everybody how wrong they are. 
Are you and I guilty of that? I've had to learn how to watch how I respond to people. I know I've been guilty of that many times, of being judgmental. Being around people that I didn't care about the way they lived. I didn't like being around them. I had a coworker. He'd retired several months ago. But I despised being in the same room with that man. If he was speaking, it was foul language. It was nasty insinuentos. It was always something that just made me cringe. But I'm not being self-righteous. I'm not a super Christian. But that man never knew that I didn't like being in the room with him. I always spoke to him with pleasantries. I'd always greet him. He always spoke back to me. Funny little side note, my name's on my uniform. He always called me Mark. I don't know to this day if he knows my name's Mike. He always called me Mark. But he never knew that I didn't care to be around him. Sure, I could have dodged him. I could have went the other way. I could have made sure that I didn't have to be in his presence. But you know, I want to I show the love of Jesus. I don't want to be that person that's better than thou. I don't want to be judgmental. Because when I look at a man like that, I see him as someone that Christ died for just like he died for me. That man needs Jesus. But I can't share Jesus with him if I'm not in his presence. If I'm not showing him the love of Christ, he don't want, he's not going to want anything to do with Christ. He's going to have the attitude that all Christians do is judge, judge me. Why would I want to have anything to do with them? If I don't form a relationship with that lost person, if I don't get to know them a little bit and let them get to know me a little bit, I'm certainly not going to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. What was Jesus known as? He was known as the friend of sinners. Throughout his earthly ministry, the majority of the time that he spent on this earth, he was in the midst of sinners. He wasn't with the scribes and Pharisees. He wasn't with those religious people. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going to go after work and, you know, go out to eat with them and, and spend all my time with them. But I'm also not going to shun them. I'm not going to be that person that has a better-than-thou attitude with them. You know, I started, started off telling you that I work... At, you know, I drive a truck and I work around a lot of ungodly, unchurched people that I'm in a mission field. And the Lord has allowed me to share my testimony with a lot of my coworkers. And I've not had to go in there saying, hey, I'm a Christian 
don't cuss around me, don't do this around me. You know, I've, I've not had to do that. I'm friends with all of them. I'll speak to any of them. I will do everything I can to show myself friendly to them. And after they get to know me a little bit, they clean up their language. They change the way that they behave around me. I've not asked them to. I've not said, hey, I'm a Christian. Please don't, don't, don't tell that joke around me. I don't point my finger at them and say, oh, you're going to hell if you don't straighten up. I don't do that. Again, I'm not a super Christian. I'm not, but I have Christ living in me. And I want to be the best ambassador that I can be for him. And I'm not going to do that with that self-righteous, judgmental attitude. I've had co-workers that I know don't go to church, that I doubt very seriously that they're saved, but they've been going through things, and they'll come to me and say, Hey, Mike, if you don't care when you pray, pray for me. They've got something going on in their family or, or whatever, and they'll come and confide in me and ask me to pray for them. I've got one that he teasingly says that I'm his deacon. The man's lost. He needs Jesus. I wouldn't be able to share with him my testimony if it weren't for the fact that I don't shun him. And... It's awesome just the way that the Holy Spirit works and he or some of the other co-workers, they'll let a word slip around me and they'll immediately catch themselves. I don't have to say anything. They'll catch themselves and apologize to me. Oh, I didn't mean to say that. They have that respect for me and I've never I've never one time, you know, announced that, hey, I'm a Christian. Y'all don't need to be acting like that the Holy Spirit I'll let the Holy Spirit do the work for me I don't I don't take that upon myself so I've had to learn to watch how I do respond to people there was a time when I would have darted out of the room because that man's vulgarity made me uncomfortable Don't you think that we should be more mindful of who we are representing? Doesn't the word Christian mean little Christ? There have been many so-called Christians that have brought a major reproach to the name of Jesus. That's why we hear people in the world saying, Judge not that you be not judged. Don't be judging me. Let's not be guilty of that. Let's not be that one that causes that person to say, don't be judging me. Judge not that you be not judged. Oh, to be like Jesus. To have the attitude that Jesus showed with this woman. He didn't condone her sin. But he didn't condemn her. 
You know, you and I are not to, to be judges. That's not our place. God has left us here as his servants to tell others about him, to spread the gospel. Let's be about our Father's business. Let's represent our Savior. Let's be that little Christ to others that they can see him through us. We don't have to be their conscience. We just need to be the example before them. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, I thank you for the example that your son set for us while he was on earth. I thank you, Lord, that although he was perfect, although that he could have judged this woman and he could have condemned her to death, he could have answered in a whole lot of many different ways, but he showed love, he showed compassion, he showed mercy. Father, help us to realize who we do represent. Help us to realize that in order for us to to share the gospel with others, that we too need to be shown love. We need to be shown mercy. We need to be shown compassion. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would do with your word as you will tonight. Father, if there are those that are hearing this message tonight and maybe they're still in the state of that woman. They're lost. They're in sin. They know it. Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting their heart. Maybe they need to be saved tonight, Lord. I pray that if that's the case, that they would come to you and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ tonight. Father, there may be those that are hearing this message tonight that are guilty of being that self-righteous, that judgmental, that Pharisee-type person. They know what your word says. They've been saved. But yet they have that judgmental attitude toward others. They don't realize they're doing more damage than good. Lord, would you work in their heart tonight? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to let them realize their need to change the way they think? Father, maybe they need to come and and lay it at the altar tonight. Maybe they need to pray and ask your forgiveness. Father, I'm asking that you would just take control And do as you will in the hearts of those that are listening tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you remain with your heads.